Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and for your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Emily Perrin from emilyperrin.com, and we will be discussing how to hire an expert team for your food blog. Emily Perrin helps bloggers expand and improve their teams with people who care about them and their businesses. She has developed a strategic hiring process that's allowed her to find dozens of knockout contractors on behalf of her clients, as well as within her own business. And she is passionate about aligning the right person with the right role. Emily has a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology and a bachelor's degree in psychology and English. Her professional background includes working in marketing, coaching, and organizational consulting. In other words, she really understands people and her zone of genius is connecting on a fundamental level to understand their values and empower them to reach for interesting and ambitious opportunities. This is such a great topic for food bloggers, Emily, and I really want to dive into this. But before we do that, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think my fun fact is that I'm a renaissance soul. And what I mean by that is I just have hundreds of interests and hobbies. Like I am constantly working on projects. So some examples are I love to knit, I quilt, read, cook, bake. I mean, and then I like watch college basketball and play fantasy football. And so it's just this like really eclectic mix of activities and projects. I love that. We're kindred spirits then because I too am like that almost to a fault where I'm like, oh, what do I do today? I have too many things I want to do. So I never feel quite settled. Like I want to be doing this and this and this. So, (laughs) And I just learned before our interview that you are basically my neighbor, which is another fun fact. You live not too far from me, which I had no idea about. So that's so cool. Now let's get to our main topic today, which is hiring a thriving team for your food blog. I think that having a good handle on people and what their strengths are is such a valuable skill set. And I love how you, Emily, have tapped into this in order to connect people in business. As you know, food bloggers have a lot to accomplish every single day. And in order to get everything done, we need help and preferably good help that allows us to be more productive and more efficient. So to start off, talk to us about how this came to be a business for you and kind of take us through the evolution of that. I left my corporate career about four years ago and went into career coaching. So that was my original business. That was my focus. And I think because of my background in management at 
at a Fortune 500 company, and then also the master's degree, like you mentioned, in industrial and organizational psychology, I was just kind of primed to hire early in my business. And not necessarily full-time employees. Like I just hired a couple contractors for a couple hours a week to help me edit my, my own content and then just like help me with scheduling and things I wasn't good at. And through that process, I've made just so many mistakes. And I thought I should be able to do this. Like I have the right background for this. I have the education for this. Like this should be easier. And what I found is just that it's really, it was so challenging to find good freelancers. And so I kept trying to figure out like, what was I doing wrong? And, and so that's really how it started is I was having a problem in my career coaching business. And I was like, I can figure this out. Like I'm the, I'm the right person to do this. So that's all it was like, that was as far as I wanted to go. And, and so I just started testing and refining. So every hire I made in my business, I was just, it was another opportunity for me to improve the process I was using. And then about a year and a half ago, so this is what, like the winter of 2018, I started having more and more business friends last year coming to me for advice on my hiring process. Like, Emily, where did you find that amazing writer? And like, how are you getting like your VA to do these things? And, and, and so I just started to be a resource to my friends in that way. And then that's where it led to actually a business coach I know referred me to a food blogger who needed help hiring. And so that's when I was just like, I should just start doing this for people. And so that's what I did. I recruited three freelance for her and I ran the whole hiring process and that's kind of where it's taken off from there and it's just led to more food bloggers and I found I just I love the industry of food blogging. Yeah, I love that you learned from your mistakes, first of all, and then kind of just did a lot of tweaking to the process and found out what works. And it sounds to me like you've just got kind of a magic, like you know how and where to find people and how to hook people up with each other. And that is so rare. So I'm really excited to learn more from you. Take us through some steps to take when we're looking to hire a person or a team to help yeah, us out. So I was thinking about how like it looks like magic from the outside, but really it's super strategic and any, like anyone can do what I'm doing for real. Like you have the right tools and resources. So I think the first step really is around developing an organizational strategy. And it sounds kind of fancy, right? <laughs> organizational strategy sounds very official. But really, all I mean by this is really creating a vision for that team you want to have to be really clear about what roles are going to be in that team. Like, what do you need done? And, and it's so individualized. Each food blogger can create their own team around them. Your team, Megan, might look different <laughs> from someone else. So that's like that big first step. And I started doing that because one, I had been upsold by a couple contractors. A couple of different contractors had upsold me because I posted an opening for an instructional designer. I wanted someone to help me create a digital course in the career coaching space. And I was upsold into a marketing funnel that I was not ready for. And I just spent thousands on this guy. He, he had good intentions. He did. It wasn't like, it was just a bad fit for me. I wasn't ready. And I, and I wasn't clear enough to say no. Like I felt like other people knew better than me, that they knew what I needed in my business more than I did. So that's when I got super specific about this organizational strategy piece. Kind of help me out here because I think a lot of people, we deal with all the duties 
day to day and we don't really know what we need. Like we know that there are different parts of food blogging. Obviously there's social media and there's admin work, you know, like the creative part of it. But how, what if we don't know where yeah, to start? So I like to use, in that case, I love to use process mapping. And so all process mapping is, is it's writing down everything that's in your core processes. So what needs to be done from start to finish for a blog post to get out and get posted to your website? Like what are all of those steps? And then and allow all the parts, right? There's photography, there's social media, there's the post itself, there's the website work, there's the SEO research. List all that stuff out. And I actually like to do post-it notes because then you can move those post-it notes around and start to see what makes sense for who to do. Like what should the writer take and what should a virtual assistant do and what could your social media manager do? And then it's good to keep in mind too, when I talk about this vision and putting all these roles in place, you don't have to hire them all tomorrow or next week. This can be something you build toward over a year or two, but then you can prioritize the roles based on like what's causing you the most pain. Where are you missing out on the opportunities the most because because you're just not getting to that work. I like that you mentioned the pain because I always like to say that too. Like, what are you struggling with or what are you hating? What are you not liking? And starting there. And then, like you said, you don't have to do everything overnight. You can start small and do you know, one blog post writing, getting help with writing a week or something really small and then kind of build from there. You mentioned writer, social media manager. What are some other like really obvious things that we could get help with? Videographer, photo editing. What are some other ideas? Yeah, a couple others I see virtual assistants are pretty common for doing the scheduling, like any of the detailed technical stuff, maybe not quite like website maintenance, but they can do a lot in terms of scheduling your stuff behind the scenes. I also am a big fan of project managers, especially if, if you struggle to keep up with your editorial calendar or to communicate. I mean, you might even have a couple team members already and you're struggling to communicate with them. That's where a project manager can be really good. They're typically pretty skilled at managing projects, <laughs> you know, managing those editorial calendars and getting like getting the right assignments out. And a VA, if they have uh, experience or skills in that area, they could cross over too. They could do admin work and project management. Yes, I often do look for those hybrid roles in the VA project management space. Those are valuable. I have my VA, she can do so many different things. She's super highly organized. And then she does like a lot of other stuff too. So I think I struck gold there, but I don't think that's always the case. I think that you're not always going to find a VA that can do absolutely everything or at least, you know, a couple of things. So talk to us about how to write the best job posting if we want to move on to job postings that we can possibly write, because I'm sure this is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for attracting the right people. And I really would not know how to start with this personally. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. It is the most important part because you're not going to find the outstanding freelancers without an outstanding job posting. I've just been researching and understanding freelancers. Like what are they looking for? What attracts them? When do they apply? What do they stay away from? Like what repels them? And so I've been doing all this research the last year to understand this and have just developed this 
it's a five part formula job postings that really works because I've just found that the best freelancers are super selective about the positions they apply for because typically they don't have a ton of free, you know, if they're looking for new opportunities, they don't usually have a ton of time. They also don't hear back from a lot of things they apply to. And so I try to keep that in mind as I'm crafting this experience for the freelancer that it's really positive with my brand or with my clients' brands as well. First of all, where do you recommend posting? Like, where do we go to even post this? Do you go to Facebook groups? Do you go to, you know, somewhere else? Where do we go? Yeah. So it it can be kind of a combo platter. There is, there's the freelancing platforms. That's kind of, that's my favorite place. I personally love Upwork. There's also other programs like Guru and I think freelancer.com still exists. They're always changing names, right? But there's these platforms that exist that are for freelancers specifically. And so I like going to them because like the freelancers are really looking for, they're looking for opportunities. So that's one option. So Guru, I had not heard of that. Is that more of like a just kind of all encompassing platform for freelancers of all types? Because I know Upwork have focuses on certain like areas of expertise. So I was just wondering about Guru and whether or not they have the same thing or if it's more of like a broad directory. Yeah, my, I think it's pretty broad there. I haven't personally used guru.com. I was just using it as an example. I personally, I love Upwork the best. I don't like get anything for telling people about it, but I've just had the most success there and I found really high quality people over there. Agreed. I've used it too and I have found very high quality people and you can sort through so many different profiles and vice versa. They can look at you and determine whether it's a good fit or not. I've had really good experience there as well. Yeah. And then Facebook groups are also an option. You can go more of that grassroots approach. If you do that, like with Upwork, you only have to post it really once and then it's kind of just like generates its own thing. With Facebook groups, I would definitely post several times, like share the opportunity several times and come in with like a super detailed posting. Most postings I've seen in Facebook groups are pretty vague. And that's like a that's a key thing good freelancers stay away from because you're not clear. They can tell you're not really ready for the support. So good freelancers stay away from vague. So more specific is obviously better. Okay, so we kind of covered some things about where to post these jobs. Now get into the actual job posting and give us your points. Yeah. So the first thing I always include is just a general description of what I'm looking for. And who are you looking for? Like what kind of qualities? The second section is the ongoing responsibilities. So what we talked about process mapping earlier, what are those main responsibilities you want them to do for you? And then the third section is preferred qualifications. So this is everything that you want them to be, right? So in this section, I usually include like years of experience. Like, do you want someone just starting out? Do you want someone with three to five years, five plus? I also include background. So sometimes I want specific background. Like you could be hiring a writer and you could have like SEO background. You could have more of a journalism background. You could have a blog writing background. There's many types there. So what do you want with that? And then I also also include characteristics. Like, Do I want them to be reliable or deadline oriented, fun, personable? Just kind of depends on the role. Attention to detail, that sort of thing. Because really, there are different qualities for each job that you might be looking for. For a writer, you want different things than if you're looking for a social media manager. So so how long are these? I mean, how, how much time do you put into this and how long do you recommend they be? So I recommend about a page and I usually spend about an hour 
writing the job postings because there's actually two more sections. <laughs> and this is why like it's super detailed because then it shows like you've really put the thought and energy into it. So part four of the job posting is just about you and your blog. So writing a little summary about what you're about. And then the fifth section is like, when do you want them to apply? So I call this application instructions. So what's the deadline to apply? And then the big shift I've made is I've stopped asking for cover letters. And instead, I ask three to five questions that I want them to submit answers to instead of a cover letter. Oh, what a great idea. So what sorts of questions? Yeah, yeah. So I typically ask why they are the best candidate for the position. I also love to ask them about their zone of genius. I get like the best information on that question. Oh, yeah. One that I use now and then is, are you a perfectionist. Again, this depends on the person that they're going to be working for. If they're a perfectionist, I try not to pair perfectionists because Hmm. they just spin (laughs) together. Okay. And then so you kind of go through those three things and then you match people up based on those as well as all the other things that you wrote. How do you find people to pair? Where are you looking for people to make connections? Yeah. So part of it has been like I've just developed relationships with freelancers at this point because I've done been in so many interviews. I mean, only one person usually gets hired, but there's typically three to five great candidates. So I've started kind of building that out, building out my network there. And then also, like we talked about, just posting it on Upwork, meeting people there and just being really open-minded. So really diving into the business and then just kind of making connections and keeping connections. Mm -hmm. And it's really about building those connections and networking and just keeping up with it. Like, And that's more on my side, right? Because I'm so into it. I wouldn't expect food bloggers to do that. But, and, and when I say like, I'm building my network, I really just mean like, then I invite them to apply. Like I always go through this whole hiring process. It doesn't matter how awesome I think someone would be or how perfect. I never skip the application process. Interesting. So once the applications start coming in, what are some strategies that you employ in order to set people apart? Because I imagine it can get really tedious looking through application after application. So what do you recommend there? Yeah, I do a couple of things. One is I rate everything. Remember I talked about those questions that I asked? I rate their responses. And this, it's a super clarifying process to go through when you're actually forced to like assign a value to them. So if they, it's a one through a 10, if it's a one, it's just clearly like this isn't a good fit. So, and, and then the other thing I do is with this rating process is instead of going from applications to interview, because that's how it typically works in business, right? Traditional businesses, they get the applications and then they decide who they're going to interview. But instead, I ask, who am I going to rate? Because I can't rate all of the candidates. So before I jump into that rating process, I just give candidates a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Like, do I want to spend a lot of time thinking about your application or not? And a lot of times there's like a very easy layer, right? There's usually maybe even half the applications I receive are just clearly thumbs down. Like if they're some examples of this are if they're if they're pitching me other things than what the job posting is for, they're instantly out. Because remember, I've made that mistake. Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. The alternate pitches. I also have had people that don't really answer the questions. They'll just say, "Let's book a call," and I'm like, "Nope, you didn't answer the question, and everyone else did." So then. I just, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Is it really that hard to just answer a few questions? Right. 
<laughs> Come on. I love that that you rate people though, that you kind of like, it sounds like you go with your gut a little bit, like mm, no, mm, yes. And then you kind of go from there and that you're adding an element of intuition instead of just doing the normal, like looking at all the facts So I love the rating system that you do. What is your feedback on that? What do you hear from people about that? Do they like that you do that? Yeah, well, I think my clients love it. The freelancers don't get to see that. That's just like, it's kind of like my notes, right? I don't share my notes with the applicants. But yeah, the reviews from my clients have been that it really helps them see too. Because then when I'm meeting with them, we can adjust the ratings based on their feedback too. Oh, interesting. Okay. I like that you do that. So you've selected a few favorite applications and then you're on to conducting an interview, right? Would that be the next step? Depending on the role, I will do work samples as well in between there instead of going right into the interview because I might have 10 people I'm really interested in. Then I put a work sample in place. And so I just ask them to like with a writer, it's pretty easy. You can just have them do some editing or write some social media posts, like a social media position. Um, with video editors, you could have them like just edit a really short video for you and just like just to get a sample of what they do, what they can do for you. So you do the sample before you do the interview, before you talk to them. Okay. That's a really great idea too, just to get like a little snippet of what they're about and what they can do. It really helps because you know they haven't worked with you yet. So if they're naturally like picking up on your voice or they're just naturally picking up on your brand or your tone, whatever it is, it really helps. And then with virtual assistants, and project managers, I often will have them do like an audio or video recording for me. So it's more like a pre-interview where I give them three questions. And sometimes I want to see like, you know, sometimes I want to see like an editorial calendar that they've created or some kind of system or process. And so I just ask them to share their screen and tell me about what they did. And those have been really helpful too, because you can really see who's the right fit, like who's worth that interview time. Yeah, definitely. And how comfortable they are. And yeah, I'm sure that you can see a lot more than as opposed to just like seeing a few sentences on paper. So that's, I think that's brilliant that you do that. I love that. Okay. So what comes next after that? So then we do the interviews, right? So after you rate the work samples, then you can pick that top three to five people to do interviews. And there's a few things that I do in interviews. And, and part of this comes from my corporate background and part of it's from psychology, you know, studying so much psychology is I, I really watch for examples. Are they giving me examples in their responses, because that's evidence that they really do have the experience. The other way I do this is they're called evidence-based questions. So these would be things like, tell me about a time when you had to deal with a difficult customer, or tell me about when, you know, those kind of questions, those are evidence-based questions, and they, they help the candidates you know, give examples. And so if they're not giving examples on those, it's a good warning sign that they may not have the experience that they have promoted in their application. What are some other things that you look for that are either like stay away from, steer clear from, or things that really like make you want to hire them? Well, another question I always ask is I ask them about what their ideal client is like. Do I match that? Like, or does my client match that? Like what this freelancer is looking for? Yeah, that's a huge one, actually. (laughs) 
Because if it's not matching there, then it's probably not going to be a good fit. Yeah. And it's something that not a lot of people do. Like the people that are hiring in business in general, like think outside of food blogging, because, you know, food bloggers, we're competing, they're competing with all the other types of business that are looking for freelancers. And so in general, businesses don't necessarily prioritize this or care about it. They And they don't communicate that. So it's another thing I just communicate with the candidates is that I care that you're the right fit for me or that I'm the right fit for you just as much as I'm trying to find the right freelancer. Right. This is important. It's just letting them know that this is very important to me. Is there anything else about the interviews themselves that you would like to point out? Yeah. Just the last thing I do is I always close my interview with next steps. And so I just let them know when they can expect to hear from me. So you wrap up with, here's what I'm expecting. Here's when and where you'll hear from me. And then Once you have kind of decided on the right person for the job, let's move to that. How do we create a positive onboarding experience for them to transition them into their new position? Yeah. So my philosophy on this is to hire slow and fire fast. Like we've spent most of this, our time together talking about the hiring process. Like it's slow, right? And I'm intentional and deliberate about that. It usually takes three to four weeks for me to find the right fit. And so that helps. Number one is slowing down there. And then if they're just like a not a good fit, I also release them quickly. So there's a few things I do here. One is I use trial periods, so usually like a 30-day trial to just try it out. And then it just makes it easier to cut. I mean, technically, you can release a contractor at any time. They're different than employees. So contractors, you can let go of at any time. Do you recommend doing that for every contractor, just a 30-day trial? Yeah, I don't I do not do it with everyone. I, and it's kind of a sense, right? Sometimes it just depends how good of a fit, how confident I am that the fit is right. And it also could be how experienced you are with hiring. If you've, you know, if you've hired and let go a lot, it's easier to just let go. You may not want to deal with communicating about a work trial. And if you have absolutely no experience hiring, it might be a good idea to just start out with the 30 day because maybe your intuition isn't quite there. Like you don't really know, have a um, handle on that yet. So I like that. Yeah, just kind of saying up front, this is a 30 day trial. Let's see how it goes and go from there. I like your little slogan, by the way, hire slow and fire fast. And you talked about how obviously you don't want to have to fire people. But when you've made that decision that somebody isn't the right fit, just do it quickly and don't drag it out and don't say, well, I'll give them another week or I'll give, you know, like if you know it's not right, just get it done. Right. And really it's the kindest thing to the other side as well. It's the kindest thing to the freelancer because they might be having a hard time too. Like they don't necessarily want to end it either. So as the business owner, it's kind of our responsibility. Yes. It might be painful all around. So how do you recommend doing that because it's not the easiest thing in the world to fire somebody. What is your process? Yeah. So within that month, or and this could even be someone that's been on maybe for a few months, I usually try to make it work. So I give them a couple chances to make it work to see, because maybe I'm just not working with them very well. Like maybe they need me just to do, make a couple tweaks to my communication style and then it will get easier. So I always give that opportunity. And then if I'm just not hearing back, then... I just let them know, like, this isn't working out. Thank you so much. 
I'm going to end this contract. Do you usually do that in person or video or do you do that over the phone or how do you do that? Typically, I've done it over email so that it's in writing. I mean, I like to have those things in writing and especially I like to document that I've tried to make it work, that I asked for things and didn't receive them. That's usually like the biggest thing. Like that's usually the biggest reason I have to terminate someone is not responding. Like I had a virtual assistant ghost me this year. Like I just never heard back. And so finally, I just had to send those communications that said, I haven't heard from you. I've tried several times. Now I'm ending this contract. And that wasn't Upwork. And that's the nice thing about Upwork too, is then it's just over, like you can just remove the access. We had just started working together too. So I hadn't given like full access to everything, but it's still, it's still disappointing, right? Like I was still bummed that Oh, I know. Of course. Yeah. You always want it to work out, right? And you do have to kind of feel it out, I feel like, a little bit. Like, if there's something that's wrong, like you you mentioned, Emily, trying to sort through it because it might just be a matter of, like, we're not communicating well. We need to... Something isn't aligning that is fixable. So once you eliminate those issues, then you can, like, start thinking about firing. But I think it's worth it to really invest in it a little bit and just see if it can be sorted out, if it's a matter of just changing something up or who knows. So here's a thought I had on employees. I was thinking about this this morning. (laughs) Speaking to food bloggers, your blog can evolve and your business can evolve. And let's say you have a really great employee that is just like a hard worker and they just get it. But when your business evolves, maybe they don't evolve with the business. Do you ever see that happening? And what do you recommend doing? Do you recommend just letting those people go and looking for something new? Because I imagine that happens. Yes. And it's happened to me as well. So yeah, I've had that happen to me where, you know, my business has grown, you know, even as a career coach and then transitioning into hiring some of the people that were helping me as a career coach just didn't make the transition in. They were given for sure, given chances like you know, like I said, I'm pretty good at giving feedback and like bringing people along, but it, when it just wasn't working, then I just, yeah, I released them and, and gave myself some time to think, okay, what do I need now that my business looks like this? You know, what kind of support do I need? And then kind of starting at the top of the process and, and re-envisioning the team. Yeah, because your vision for your business changes constantly. And even from like, you know, a few months, but I would say like, more from year to year. Looking back a year ago, what my business needed was really different from what it needs now. So who knows what what it's going to need a year from now. So keeping that in mind and just making sure that the team that you have is evolving with you. And if they're not, then it is time to maybe look around. And is that something you recommend saying up front or not? Like, I don't know that someone would like to hear like in a year we're going to reevaluate and see if you're still a good fit for the business or I don't know, is that good or not? I usually just stay more in the moment because you can't know, like you said, you don't know what you're going to need in a year. And I think the contractors in general, especially if you're working with contractors, they're generally used to that kind of fluid, flexible schedule, right? That clients come in their life and the clients go, you know, if they are true professionals, it's not that big of a deal. And and that's what's so funny, right? Like us as the business owners, we get all wrapped up in it and we feel like it's so personal, but it might like the contractor might not even take it personally. And honestly, that's why they're contracting, to be honest, is so that they don't have that set rigid schedule where they have to go into an office every day. So it might be refreshing for them to move on and do something different. 
So I really like that perspective and not getting caught up in the, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, do something terrible to this person's life by telling them this. It's not necessarily like that. So we covered some tool or resource recommendations for hiring, where to post jobs, Upwork, Guru, Facebook groups. Also talked about just making sure that the people you're looking for are being really specific and that you also are being really specific and letting people know exactly what you need. If someone is more general, probably a good idea to stay away from it. So look for those really specific needs. Emily, do you have any tips for retaining really good help? Like if there's someone that you found that's just like, oh my goodness, they just get my writing or whatever it is. How do we take care of them as contractors because they're not necessarily employees to really keep them on board? Yeah, I do have some suggestions there. One is to really focus on building a relationship with the contractor. And you can do this from the beginning where not that you have to be best friends, but you can be checking in. You can be checking in and asking them for feedback. This is one of, I think, the best things. It's one of my favorite things I do is to hear like from my contractors, what could I be doing to make their lives easier? Because there might be simple tweaks like you know, using a project management tool or maybe giving them a little more time. Maybe they need a day or two more on deadlines just to give them space to to get the work done. So that that's one of the things I do. I always check in and I check in roughly monthly with my contractors just on how things are going. And yeah, that's a good time frame. And just like you said, it doesn't have to be any a big ordeal. Just like, how's it going? Is there anything that you could use for me? What can I get for you? know, What can I do for you at this point? And just getting feedback on a regular basis, I think is really valuable. Getting to know them on a personal level. You know, that's that's also really motivating when they know you, when the contractors know you, they're more excited about supporting you. And you should like have mutual like for each other, right? Yeah, you should like each other. (laughs) Letting them into your life a little bit in, in personal ways. And yeah, just like allowing them to be like a somewhat of a friend like depending on the the role it can be kind of an intimate relationship like you really work on the nitty-gritty stuff with these people sometimes so if you don't like them then it's probably not going to go very well so I think that's a really good point too is there anything else any other tips you have for just taking care of contractors yeah I think the other piece is giving feedback as well so asking for the feedback from them but then also letting them know like when they do something that's awesome like when you love their work letting them know that and then also the flip side as well letting them know when they miss the mark because that's really the only way if if we don't tell them they're never going to be able to adjust they can't give you more of what you love and less of what you don't if you don't tell let them know what that is it doesn't have to be personal giving feedback is just a fact like here you did this right or you did this wrong whatever yeah I think that's really important to keep in mind that we're not hurting anybody's feelings they're here to help us get our work done effectively so giving feedback is part of it and I like that you mentioned to like asking for feedback but also giving feedback so it has to go both ways And it can make it easier, too, to give the feedback if you're also asking for it. Like making it that two-way conversation can make it a little easier for you to deliver it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we covered so much great stuff. So is there anything that we've missed that you would like to mention before we say goodbye, Emily? I know that food bloggers will want to know kind of like where to go. And we covered that. Um, I liked your points, your um, 
one through five points, the description and kind of what you want in that job posting. I think that's going to be really helpful. And if it's okay with you, I might just kind of outline that and put it in your show notes so that people can look through that. I appreciate everything that you've shared today. It's been a pleasure, Emily. Yes, it's been so great. I guess the one other thing I can mention is I do have the job posting template, like you said. I actually have a template on my website. Oh, great. Yeah, I can actually link to that from your show notes page if you want. So yeah, we can take care of that. We'll have that and everything else that we've talked about today on Emily's show notes page, which can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Emily Perrin. So before you go, I'm going to have you share with us a favorite quote, Emily. I know you've already shared a lot with us, but quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers today. Sure. So I did bring a quote and it's from the book Happier by Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a psychologist, particularly focused on happiness and positive psychology. And in that book, he says, happiness is not about making it to the peak of the mountain, nor is it about climbing aimlessly around the mountain. Happiness is the experience of climbing toward the peak. Mm, I love that. We all forget that, don't we? We're like, when we get there, we're going to be so happy. And then we forget to look around us and enjoy the journey. So thank you for sharing that. Emily, tell my listeners the best place we can find you online. Yeah, so my website is emilyperrin.com or on Instagram, I'm at emily.perrin. Those are the two spots I spend the most amount of time. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Emily. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.